Let's talk about life and uh, we're, we're all living. Anyone else find they check their pulse more than usual anymore? The worst thing about getting an Apple Watch or a smartwatch is you walk around with your finger to your throat. Anyway, we're all living and life, everybody, has expectations. Yes? That work? You get up every day, you kind of think, well, I know what today's kind of going to be. You have expectations about your day. Would that be true? You'd have an idea. Mostly you'd have an idea. However, many people know, most of you know, that sometimes life will throw you a, an alteration. Something will be altered, yes? That you weren't, it wasn't part of the diary, okay? It wasn't part of the thing. Anyone gone through life at all and they got up one day and life threw something that they weren't expecting? It was an alteration, hands up. That's. Don't lie to me this end of the room. That's all of us in the room, okay? Once you get to, I think, over 16 years of age, this, this becomes real, okay? Up until 16, you think the world's full of hell together with fairy dust and stuff. Anyway, expectation, then there's an alteration. The thing about an alteration is that it lets you see life in another way that wouldn't have been possible but for the alteration. So it causes a place of heightened revelation, okay? And the thing about expectation being caused then by an alteration, releasing a revelation in our lives, is that the thing that's been revealed to us more often than not will cause a transformation. Our lives will be changed as a result of the alteration. Is that making sense? So we have, we wake up and we're in expectation. Something happens to us, causes an alteration. The alteration forces us to look at whatever the situation is, and it opens up a new revelation to our lives. And ultimately, what's happened because of all of this leads to a changed life. Anyone in the room? That, that's all of us. I've no real evidence to suggest this or to support this, okay? But I want to submit to you that more often than not, when we have stories of alteration that lead to revelation and transformation, more often than not, they're kind of in the negative camp, wouldn't you say? A loss or a redundancy or a prognosis or something has happened. It's never, well, it, it can be good. It can be good stories, of course, but we remember the impact of the bad stuff much more easily, don't we? That's what we do. But what have I told you this morning that God wanted to surprise you through the alterations of life? What if I could tell you that through the alterations, the things that happen to us that, that are beyond our and outside of our expectations, that seem almost like the random kind of events of life, could bring a, through faith, bring a better revelation and then a greater transformation. That's why I think the value of faith is so important because it allows a more positive, heaven-filled, optimistic revelation and a greater transformation than a life that's lived without faith. And I'm going I'm to unpack this in a moment. I believe there are two types of people today. All of us will hopefully benefit from this conversation, but I'm praying that God speaks to two types of people today. Anyone in the room who's in the middle of this, who's in the, right in the middle of, I didn't see that coming, kind of situation in their life, okay? Or anyone who has come through an alteration, and because it was so traumatic or so difficult, you now live with no expectations from life, faith, or anything else. Because sometimes having no expectation is still an expectation. What are you expecting? Nothing. That's still something. It's just nothing. And I'd meet too many people who go through life living with nothing to be expected. Because there was a moment when this was too severe and it led to a revelation of something that I just can't handle 
and it led to a transformation that's killed their expectation. Is that, is that making sense? So we're going to go into a story today that might be familiar to you. It won't be on the screen, so you'll need to bring it on your tablet or your phone or your iPad or a, a Bible with pages or something. And it's John. It's not at all John. It's Acts 3, okay, verses 1 to 10. I'm going to read it to you. And it'll be a familiar story to some of you. could be brand new to others. Either way, it's a cracking story. So Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. is the fifth uh, book in the New Testament written by uh, Luke, Dr. Luke. He wrote Luke and then he wrote Acts. The two books should be read together, okay? And uh, just a fascinating read altogether. He's the doctor. He's the medical guy. So whenever Luke talks about miracles, we can take confidence that we're looking at the eyes of miracles through the lens of thinking, academia, not just anything else, okay? Look, doctor, you know, sound as a pound, as they say. Here we go. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon, and now a man who was lame from birth, say birth, so important, lame from birth, he'd never been able to walk, never been able to walk, not like he knew once and then something happened and then he can no longer walk from birth, all right? And he's being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money, as was his daily activity. Verse 4 says this, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his full attention, here it is, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name, and I just love that this was the last song we sung, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Instantly. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he, um, what would I say? They went to walk. Yes, then he went, forgive me. Then he went uh, with them to the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people uh, recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Get up and so in the story, we meet the beggar, and this was a man living with an expectation. However, he meets Peter and John. Peter and John create an alteration, and the alteration paves the way for a revelation, and the revelation leads to the man's transformation. And so, Father, I pray today that as we lean into this few verses, that God, by the end of this journey, all of us will be transformed. And Lord, I want to pray for those that are spiritually lame. Those who are hopelessly lame. Those, Lord, who won't move. Who feel they can't move. They cannot get up off their spirit, onto their spiritual feet and dance. And I pray today that, Father, all of us in this room, by the time you're done with us, Lord, all of us will be dancing. That, Father, there will be a profound healing in this room. 
And we ask it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said. So let's start with expectation, verses 3 to 5. When he saw Peter and John, love this, about to enter into the temple, they're heading off to prayer, he asked them for money. And so Peter and John, it says, look straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. What I want you to see, everybody, is that there is a relationship between attention and expectation. Okay, and we see it played out in John chapter 6. And here you read the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Okay, verse 8 and 9 of John 6 says this another of his disciples is Andrew, which is now Simon Peter, Peter's brother. He spoke up and he said, Look, here's a boy. He's got this tiniest wee lunch. Okay, he's got five small barley loaves, he's got a couple of fish. But, uh, but to be honest, I don't know how far this will go when we have so many people around us. And so what we know is, and what we can see from this is that Andrew knows Jesus has asked them to look for food to feed thousands of people. But he stands there with this tiny wee lunch. And even though he stands and looks at it, and the lunch has his attention, there is no expectation in Andrew that this little lunch will feed 5,000 men. So we have this relationship between attention and expectation. And here's the thing. The object of your attention shapes the content of your expectation. Yes? Here's what I mean. If the emotional fallout of whatever, let's say just betrayal. If the emotional fallout in your life has your attention, that's all you can see. Then your expectation on every other future relationship will be deeply impacted. In other words, you'll go, I loved once, but I will never love again because all my attention is on the trauma of the moment and that attention is shaping my expectation. Am I making sense? If a failure and regret and sin, let's say shame and all of the stuff has our attention, then the expectation for our future will be severely impacted by whatever has our attention. The most valuable commodity being traded in the world today is not gold, it is not Bitcoin, it is not cash, it is not shares, it is not property. The most valuable commodity being traded today is your attention. It is why social media spent billions of pounds developing algorithms to put stuff on our feeds and our scrolls that we want to see because they want your attention. Now look what Peter and John do though. They say, look at us. Look at, no, no, look at me, look at us. So you can imagine the man was asking for money, head down, hand up. Because if Peter had to tell him to look at us, he wasn't looking at them. But when Peter and John said, look at us, he must have known something was about to happen. Look at us. And this is what they do. And I want you to follow this. The disciples redirect his attention because they're about to replace his expectation. They take the gaze of the beggar away from his circumstance, away from the spot he's been sitting in, away from all that that represents, his class, his place in the world, everything. And they say, I want you to take your attention off yourself, off your status, off your moment. I want you to lift your head, beggar man, and I want you to look at us. Look at us, shift your attention, because I'm about to move your expectation. 
And what I want us to know this today is when we give God our attention, when we give Jesus our full attention, our expectations for a bigger and expansive, brighter future emerge. Faith begins to rise in our heart, everybody. And I got to tell you this, when faith begins to rise, hope begins to dawn and you momentarily could encounter a thawing heart and maybe a chance to dare to believe that your life could move on and I could actually get away from this spot that I'm stuck in. It's what God is trying to do with some of us even today and in our lives and we go through this you know, many times, it's when a worship lyric grabs you. Have you ever been listening in the car and you suddenly feel moved by, by a certain lyric or a line? That's not just your favorite line, just being played. I want to tell you, that's God trying to get your attention. And anytime God tries to get your attention, it's because he's about to replace your expectations. When God, I'm reading the Bible sometimes, and well, sometimes, every day, and Reading that, that was close out, right? He doesn't even read the Bible. I, I knew it. I knew it. Somebody else's sermons. But when you read the Bible and, and, a, and a verse comes off the page at you, okay, that's not just, oh, that's standing out. No, no, that's God trying to get your attention. Why? Because he wants to replace your expectations of what is, of what is possible, of what could happen. He's trying to put faith into you in that moment. He's trying to put hope into you in that moment. David understands this, and he says in Psalm 23, verse 8, he says, my heart says of you, seek his face. And he says, Lord, your face I will seek. How many times have you had the notion, do you know I really feel I should pray? And then you don't. That's your heart in you going, Lord, you know, I need to seek your face. My heart says of you, seek his face, get into prayer, da-da-da. Somehow, something always manages to replace it, but I want to encourage you, when you feel the Lord leading you into a word, into a worship lyric, you know, getting the coat on and coming to church or prayer meetings or whatever it might be happening, when you feel those impulses and those leanings from the Lord, it is God trying to get your attention because he wants to shift and expand and broaden and deepen your expectations of what is possible with him. It's when somebody buys me a book or, or recommends a book to me, I go and buy it immediately. Why is it? Why they recommend it to me? Well, there must be something in it I need to hear. If someone sends me a word or a verse, I am on that like a shot. Why is why has that happened? I want to believe the Lord is trying to get my attention. So when we come to church every single week, we got to do it. Why? Because then God shifts our expectations when we gather corporately to give him our attention. Next week is September. Hello? It's nearly Christmas. Anybody else a Christmas nut? Just me. I love it, the whole violence. Mm -mm, so good. Can you believe it, though? And we get a season now to get into church every week to allow the Lord, right, to shift our expectation when we give him our attention. And who knows what is possible when God begins to move in our lives. Number two, alteration. Peter and John now has the man's full attention. This is not how it normally goes. Okay. You have my attention. 
And then Peter rocks up and he says, silver and gold, money then. I don't have any money. But he says, what I have, I will give you. So can you imagine you're the beggar, okay? These two boys have come along and they're not the usual lads, okay? Normally people would throw something in and just walk on. Not many people stop for a chit chat, okay? They're not interested. They don't want to whatever. They won't see him poor. They won't see him, you know, they won't, they won't walk past and ignore him, but they're not going to pull up a chair and go, how's things? Not at all. So this is different. These guys rock up, no money, but they want to have a conversation. Usually it's no conversation and money. And so it's the other, it's the other way around. It's an thing. So you're now looking at the two boys wondering what is about to happen. Expectation is building within your spirit. These lads must be loaded because rich people always want to give a little chat before they give. That's what I've discovered, okay? Then the chatty one, okay, the Peter boy, he turns around and he says, ah, by the way, I know, but I've no money. <laughs> Hugs and kisses. Now, that's different than what I was expecting. That's different. That is an that's an alteration. Oh, that is not what I was expecting at all. Well, if he's not giving me money, he says he's giving me something. Well, what is it that he's giving me? What's going on here? Let me tell you what's going on here, everybody. Here's what Peter and John are doing in the alteration. They are redirecting the source of the hope this man holds. That's what they're doing. For him, the hope he placed his life in was found in the generosity of others. But what Peter and John are doing, they are repositioning him to get ready to understand that the hope is in the generosity of Jesus. That's what he's doing. He's changing. They are redirecting their source of hope in his life. The only way this beggar ever encountered any kind of hope was through money. But Pete, I'm not hitting money, by the way, just the generosity of others. But Peter and John were setting him up to understand that hope, eternal hope, real hope, hope that can make a difference, hope that gets you up on your feet and moving and dancing and praising the Lord is not found in anything we can touch, but it's found in the generosity of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ can do for all mankind. Amen? And the cold hard truth is, let me be honest with you. The cold hard truth about my life sometimes is that I would trust more in the world for my hope than in Jesus. The reality is that Jesus has my heart, but more often than not, the world holds my hope. But I'm learning that when the world holds our hope for a good life, and then Jesus just has my heart. So the world has our whole hope. Jesus has our whole heart. What happens when life throws an alteration? Hope goes out the window and my heart falls out with Jesus and I lose everything. When I have peace when things are good, that's what you're talking about. When the car's nice and the house is in order, which is never. When I wear nice stuff, mostly in black. When the kids are smiling and everything is jippity doo the bank account is in the same color as my clothes, not the other reddish kind of pinky sort of kind of color. Then peace like a river. And the slightest little thing comes along, panic stations, and hope is out the window. And then our faith takes a hit. Lord, how did you? Why could you? Da, da, da. So my question is, because 
You're part of me and I'm part of you. I want to ask, what or who carries your hope? Chances are, here's the thing, if you're stuck, if you're hurt, if you're broken, if you're betrayed, and you have resigned to never fully giving of yourself to anyone or anything again, and the truth is that while you're here and you may love Jesus with all of your heart, here's the rub, you have trouble loving him with all of your hope. And as a result, if you're anything like me, your hope will be in two places. Anything or anyone that will give you a short-term thrill, the thrill of the till, retail therapy, just whatever it is, just go put your hope in something, that's all right. Or, as I preface this message away at the start, with whatever little hope you have left, it's, it's so attached on the trauma, so attached on the words, so attached on the event, so attached to that person, so attached to the memory, that every time you think about getting up, every time you think about moving on, this distressing memory, those painful words, the actions of others, or even the perceived actions of others, will pull you back down, put you outside the temple gate beautiful, and tell you to stay there, and sit there, and don't move. Some of you, of course, a lot of you are not physically unable to walk, but some of us, we are spiritually unable to move. We are emotionally unable to move. And the reason is this, is because we've lost all hope. We love him with all of our hearts, but Brian, I cannot love him with all of my hope. And Peter and John come along and they go, look at us. We're causing an alteration. This service this morning is not going how you thought. This is your alteration. This is your redirection of hope. I want to be like David. Psalm 16, verses 2 and then verse 9. He says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Come on, church. And then he says, therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. And watch this, my body also rests secure when the Lord Jesus is our whole hope and we love him with our whole heart. It doesn't matter what the season is, what we're going through. As Blake said earlier, our heart is glad, our tongue rejoices, and our body rests secure. Our whole body, body, soul, and spirit. i got to tell you, David reminds us that when the Lord is the Lord of all, every part of who we are rests in that reality reality. We have a glad heart. We have, as a result of a glad heart, a worshipful tongue that comes out of our our hearts. And we have a peace-filled humanity that goes on and on and on, regardless of what it is we are walking through. What if, what if, open arms. What if there was someone in the room could reattach their hope to Jesus today? What if you are at a zero and you could go to five today. I could take those steps. What are you going to go? I'm at zero. I got no hope. I love him. I love him, but I've trusted, I trusted in life. And I just, what if you could go from zero to three? What if you're at like a seven? You could go all the way to a 10. What if there are people in this room, spiritually and emotionally, lame and crippled, sitting in a corner, and no one could tell by looking at you, but you know yourself. What if your spirit and your soul could get up on its feet and go, I haven't felt like this. Alterations, the unexpected, they have this way of positioning us to reveal the true source of our hope. What are we putting in? What's a good line? 
Alterations in life have a way of positioning us to get a revelation of our true source of hope. And so step one was giving Jesus your attention. Your step now is answering this question. It is, will you allow the alterations in your life, even this morning, to position you to the true source of your hope, the true source of your peace, the true source of your purpose in life in the Lord Jesus? Number three, and then we're nearly done, is revelation. It's revelation. We sung about this already today. We might even finish with it. I don't know. Whatever you think, Blake. Verse 6. Can you imagine? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. What profound courage of Peter and John. There is worlds of theology here. There is a miracle of miracles. Remember we said he was lame from birth? There was no cognitive pattern established in his brain to teach him how to walk. You and I, because we're adults, we assume that we've always known, but we forget that when we were toddlers, we had to learn how to walk, reinforcing neural pathways in our brain as our developmental process developed that we needed to know how to walk. This man had never walked. There was nothing at a biological, cellular, anything level. This wasn't just a regenerative muscle miracle. This was a miracle of incredible proportions. Jesus not only strengthened his legs, but Jesus also taught him how to walk in an instant. That's how good he is. That's what's in his name. And here's the thing. The beggar got a revelation of Jesus because he was surrounded by people who carried it. Why? Because they had his attention. And I got to tell you, he wasn't afraid to get him onto his feet as the part of their revelation passed to him and he changed his life forever. I think I've shared this story before, but we were 2018, three or four months after Cornerstone and big Sean Malarkey, he'd offered me a job with CCI two or three days a week. And we're like, oh, well, well should we? Well, we won't. We do whatever. Is this, you know, uh, we, we'd handed the church over. We're kind of that sort of limbo. It's like what Blake talked earlier, take the jump, hope we're going to land someone as the target. And... Uh, and Sean said, hey, why don't we work with CCI two three days a week? And we kind of felt, you know, there's another church in us at that time. And we didn't really think that was the, the way to go and all of that stuff. And so anyway, we went to the movement conference and we were sitting there. Steve Kelly from Virginia Beach Church, Wave Church over there. And uh, he was preaching. And remember last time we talked about the Shunammite woman, remember her? And uh, time before last, actually, we talked about her and the restoration of her home and all of that. And he was preaching on this story about her losing the son. Remember that she lost her son and Elijah, she would lay over the top of him and all of that stuff. And you, you know how it goes. And the son dies and she gets Elisha. Elisha comes and, and, and Elisha lies on the son. Remember, heart to heart, face to face, hand to hand and all of that. And the boy comes back to life, gets up and all the rest of it. Great stuff. And then the preacher turned around. He turned around and he said this. He says, the way to your future in this next season is to lie under another leader. Oh. And let their heart become your heart. Let their words become your words. Let their vision become your vision. And then he said, in time, you'll rise up again. Get on your feet and away you go. 
And it was an incredible thing. So I was sitting in the, in the, in the audience or the seats, and Sean Malarkey here, there was me, there was Judith, and I don't know, Susan was there, maybe beside Sean. And this was coming up, and I could feel this nudge in my elbow, and it was Sean. So I looked at him, and he went, I looked at Judith, and she went, and I'm, I'll take the job. And that was it. And in that moment, everybody, I had this revelation. And I understood that the way back and the way up and the way forward into everything that God had for Judith and I was to surround myself with people who carried more anointing, who carried more authority, who carried more than know-how than I did, and allow them to help, allow them to have a revelation of Jesus for my life to pass from them into me. And I got to totted this up before making this talk. As a result of that revelation of Jesus from that man through Sean and all the rest of it, over the past five years, listen to this, in the past five years, I have driven driven 105,000 miles around Ireland. 105,000. <laughs> I should be bent over. 105,000 miles around Ireland, preached everywhere, helped pastors, leaders, I don't know, and whatever. And we're, now, we're, now we're hanging out. Thanks. <laughs> and who knows what the rest of the year is going to do. It's only September next week. Who knows? But this is what I know, everybody. Whether you get a revelation of Jesus or when you get a revelation from Jesus, everything changes. There is a transformation. The result of embracing a revelation allows your life to be transformed. And when Jesus moves, i got to tell you, remember Jesus healed the boy, the widow's son? Let me tell you this. When the body moves, the funeral's over. Amen. It's not a funeral anymore. It's a party. Amen. This man got touched. He's on his feet. He's getting up and dancing. Begging's over. Praising and dancing and leaping and glorifying God. Why? Because he started one day with an expectation, found two fellows who loved Jesus, caused an alteration, allowed with that sense of focus to release a revelation of Jesus. And when it passed to him, his life was transformed. Formed. Amen. Come on, somebody. This is the story I pray for some of us in this room. When Jesus turns up, the dead rise, the lame can walk, the blind can see, the guilty are forgiven. Stones roll away. We find a way through the wilderness. We get up off where we're sitting and we begin to move. Amen. I have one more wee story. I was out for a run one day, it was a, like a track, um, like a running track, it's like a forest track near our house, it's kind of a, like a split level loop, I drove into the car park, very secluded, but drove into the car park, started the loop round, drove, whatever, got to the far end of the forest, so it's on a loop and there's like kind of trees and steps and a waterfall at one end, car park at the other, so I'm at the furthest point from the car, this, oh, that's the car, me, and I get over here and this voice goes off in my head, Get back to your car. Get back to your car. No, it's five o'clock, kind of this time of year. Windy leaves. I thought you're being a bit freaked out yourself. Wise up, you man. And away you go. Anyway, I got back round to the car and I could see the car in the car park. 
And I wasn't close enough to do much, but I got to the, I could see the car and I could see these five guys around the car. One in the front, one in the back, one at the door, and then one in a car, two in a car, ready for whatever. And they were trying to break into the car. What do you do? What do you do, church? I'll tell you what I did. I shouted. I went, hey, that's my car. And then one of me ran at them. What was I going to do? Make a citizen's arrest with my Nike? So I'm running at them. Yeah, it's my car. Uh -huh. It's only a silver Astra, 500 years old. Like, take it, take it. I'll get more from the insurance. Not at all. Running, that's my car, whatever. So they're like, ah. They jump into their car and take off. What do I do next? I get into my car and I chase them. What was, what was the end of this story in my head? I'm chasing these potential people down the thing. I didn't catch them. And it, anyway, they got away and I didn't do any more about it. But here's my thing. Sometimes when the enemy tries to steal what's yours, you have to run at it. You have to raise your voice and you have to shout louder in Jesus' name. Sometimes whatever the trauma is, whatever the memory is, whatever the moment is, it says, hey, you got to sit there. you got to go down. No, no, no. Today you walked into church with an expectation. You were hit with an alteration, with a revelation of who Jesus is, with a restorative miracle like no others that can lead to a transformation of your life. Who's in?